0: Your source for Big Ten Talk! It's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome to Off Tackle Empire, uh, once again with Steve Braun, aka Thumposaurus, and Andrew Kosceski, where we are trying. To, to actually use two microphones, like some kind of pro operation here. I don't know what we're doing, but all I, all I know is that you've got to have all of the best equipment in order to entice all of the recruits. So we are going to try to get... To, i mean we don't yet have like a like a like a pool grotto like that Oregon complex did
1: yeah i, I over here got a newer model than new so my microphone is kind of the waterfall in the lobby of, of microphone amenities if you will yours is kind of the yours is more of the iowa painting their walkrooms pink like old and busted kind of model but you know that's one way to do it that'll probably attract some well they'll get somebody's attention you know maybe somebody who had like who was raised by their grandpa and had a lot of old style technology around the house growing up. I mean, different strokes are different folks. Well,
0: yeah, so we've got we've got a mix of something venerable, built to last, you know, you recruit your your, your, your humble, grounded, uh, Midwestern types, and then of course you've got the sleek space age uh, equipment over here. Uh, we're trying to appeal to all types here. Speaking of appealing to all types, here is our WinFlight Tri-Booster of the Week. It is white claw natural lime because there ain't no laws when you're drinking the claws nor are there any laws when you can, when you have to redirect all of your profits profits so they be into um, facilities and just as white claw figured out that if you put booze into sweet carbonated things oh guess what people will buy it and drink it Ohio State has figured out this incredible formula of if you put all of the best football
1: players on one team, they won't be challenged. <laughs> They're going to win a whole bunch of games. Funny how that works. And we'll start there because it was the big nude Saturday matchup. How how long into the game did you still? Think, if this is even the one you watched, was the one we were playing at the same time? Yeah, yeah. So you were probably weren't watching that closely, but I, I wonder if you could go back, rewatch the game, and decide just you know figure out how long in this game, do I still think this is going to be a competition? Because, you know, actually, it was still a tight game at halftime. You wouldn't know that by looking at the final score or the actual disparity between the teams on the field because how Wisconsin kept this close for a little while is still a bit of a mystery to me.
0: What's funny is you you say that, and when I look at kind of the box score and the way the game progressed, what I would have been thinking is I would have had the same mentality that I had watching Illinois play Wisconsin, where it's like, well, the margin's not that close. Technically, we're still in it, but like, we're not going to win. It's a matter of time. The no. difference being that some weird shit happened, and Illinois won that. But that's you know how I usually have been feeling as we've gone like four and twenty-six in the Big Ten. In any game against a superior opponent, where we're just the score hasn't gotten out of hand yet, and it's like, okay, so it's technically if this were like an evenly matched game. You could kind of see maybe they could screw this up enough the other team could screw this up enough to lose. But this is an insurmountable seven-point deficit.
1: Yeah, and early on, Wisconsin's front got some pressure on Justin Fields for really the first time all season. They weren't I mean, they weren't making the big disaster plays that generally turn the tide against when you're facing the Buckeyes, but the problem that every ohio state opponent has had this year we keep saying oh well team x kept it close oh msu kept it close for a quarter wisconsin kept it close for a half what that means is ohio state hasn't yet stopped dicking around but also the other team isn't doing anything uh wisconsin they got their one touchdown in the third quarter i forget i think it was to close it back to 17 to 7. If I remember right. I think it was, yeah. it was Ohio State 10-0 at halftime. I think the Buckeyes got another touchdown. Wisconsin got theirs back. And then from there, 21-0. <laughs> yes,
0: floodgates open. <laughs> Justin Fields had his worst day going 12-for-22 for 167. 28 rush yards on 13 attempts. So, by far his worst day of the year. Still a 38-7 to
1: victory. Yeah, because all we needed is like, all right, well, Field isn't playing that great. We'll just give the ball to Dobbins 20 times, 8 yards a pop. Master Teague also running for six yards a carry as his backup. And uh, then, oh, hey, have we introduced you to this guy, Chase Young, who is somehow better than Nick Bosa, was somehow better than Joey Bosa. I mean, it was like the unbelievable, if there's any question, if it was anything other than the Miami Dolphins deliberately lighting their team on fire to get a quarterback, Chase Young would be the no-brainer, obvious number one pick in the draft. Some lucky team is going to get to pick him, with the second or even third pick if another quarterback-hungry team goes to the top. Uh, It it was preposterous. And, you know, this is not a bad offensive line. This isn't him against Tyler Higbee. This is him against Wisconsin's tackles, which, again, you generally think run-blocking more than pass-blocking with the Badgers, but their offensive line play is excellent overall. And And it's not like they run-blocked well either. No, yeah, nothing worked. And, you know, not to say that that's all Chase Young. I mean, their one blocking is just more on the quality of the line overall for Ohio State. But, yeah, man, I don't know what you do with Chase Young. But the answer is really not to just not block him. As, that's what Wisconsin tried. When MSU played the Buckeyes, they're like, we're we're not going to let him beat us. And so they like, well, that's fine. But there's 10 other guys in this defense who can beat you just as well in one-on-ones. And that's what happened. Wisconsin took the opposite approach and said, no, we're going to run basically a normal game plan. We're just and going he'll to be live so
0: it. surprised by the lack of extra attention <laughs> that he won't know what to do.
1: That he'll presumably, after the ball is snapped and he sees only one guy trying to block him, he'll just kind of pause and stand up and scratch his head in confusion. And then the play will be happening and we'll have gained yards while he's confused. And that'll just keep happening the whole time. That's our game plan for Chase Young.
0: Chase Young is illustrative of... Uh, kind of a whole philosophy with the way that Ohio State is going now that we've been subscribing to since the offseason, which is basically just abandon all hope, um, ye who do not root for the Buckeyes, because because there was a lot of hope that, oh, well, you know, but as soon as that star player legend graduates, <laughs> well, I mean. then that might be a position of weakness. No, they'll get better. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, we both, both set out. And it was like, oh, oh, surely... There's not going to be bosa and then bosa, you know. And then surely there's not going to be somebody that no, they're just going to get better. Okay, Dwayne Haskins leaves. They just get better.
1: Because <laughs> now it's a guy Justin Fields been... is going to leave and yeah. they'll get better. Because now yeah, Haskins is gone. Now the guy can run. So it's just, great. You know. Now the damn thing's got wheels. <laughs> exactly. oh. So, it, you know, on the one hand there, there's a little bit of refreshment to it cuz at least there's really no wonder, right? Like if Ohio State doesn't win the conference the next three years in a row, it's gonna be a big surprise. That'll be an interesting little change of pace. The only team out there that's gonna be able to throw a punch at them, we think, is Penn State. You could talk me into, if, if what Michigan showed on the field this week is actually indicative of where they're gonna be going forward, that team could give Ohio State a fight, I guess, but tell me you If I mean, Ohio that's...
0: State chooses to throw the ball a whole bunch of times in a monsoon, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. If
1: if they choose to use of the, the Michigan twenty seventeen Michigan State game plan, then you know anything could happen. <laughs> not <laughs> unprecedented, I suppose, but not with this staff. Not no. with, I mean there's there is no there is no brain fart here the way there occasionally was with Urban Meyer. So but the guys, one been,
0: preseason prediction where we were the most wrong. It, it, it where we were the most right. I'm sorry, where we were the most right. Is that there's not going to be any point in even paying attention to this conference race because Ohio State is going to nuke everybody.
1: Yeah, we we need to give ourselves credit for pointing and laughing at all the national and regional media sources that picked Michigan to win this conference, uh, or any team other than Ohio State, as you mentioned. There, it was a fool's errand from the beginning. The talent is all there on the paper. You just have to look at it. There's one team. Penn State that has enough to go up against them, and their coach is an idiot. So, what did we expect? Honestly, until
0: they like miss two bowl games in a row, just abandon all hope. Ohio State's not playing the same game as the rest of us.
1: Yeah, hope they get in trouble. That's the only yeah, Ho- hope, hope they, they get in. Trouble. in... Yeah. But there ain't no laws when you drink in the claws. So yeah, don't count on that. Well, I remember Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. 20 carries for 52 yards. But what are you going to do when you've got five-star defensive linemen and linebackers in your face all day for the first time all season? You don't have running room. I mean, that's that's what happens. But the good thing is, other than this game, we had a lot of compelling, interesting matchups across the conference. We're going to go right to the most interesting dynamic, dynamic of those. Iowa Northwestern. Take it away, Thump.
0: Oh, boy. So uh, this was... Thoroughly unwatchable, but not in, like, the fun train wreck way. No, and not even just in kind the bowl, of the, yeah. the This is... You, you show somebody this to try to wean them off of football. Like, yeah, you're concerned that your significant other has a crippling football addiction. This is, like, your gateway drug to not watching football, <laughs> is method, this game right here.
1: college football. Boy, yeah. It, disappointing insofar as, as you say, it was unwatchable and not even in a memorable way, where you've got, like... at halftime or something like that. Because Iowa
0: scored in fairly short order, and and Northwestern never threatened. So there wasn't even the thought of, wow, Northwestern could make a huge upset with this incredibly stupid game. I mean, that was never even a a consideration. No,
1: it was close just long enough that you think, well, you know, technically if it's a one-score game, it could. But, I mean, once Iowa kicked that field goal in the second quarter, that was it. Like 10, 10 points, is it might as well be 10,000 points because Northwestern's not doing it. And, you know, <laughs> there's not a whole lot interesting to say about Northwestern's product on the field. Their defense is still fighting valiantly. I guess you give them some credit for that. And that could be interpreted as a mark of good coaching. But what we are seeing with Pat Fitzgerald in his press conferences is nothing short of of the manifestation of a syphilitic brain. Like this is... Appointment viewing now, to be clear, because it is hysterical. But, man. uh, After the game,
0: he blamed his players being on their phones again for for, for this game. Like, that's why they didn't score any points, is because they like to be on their phones. He seriously has already gone back to that well. Like, I, I thought at least there would be original material for a little longer before he started thinking in circles.
1: Yeah, I just, you know... When a guy gets his third or fourth consecutive Netflix special role, it's like, this one's not going to be as good because how much more can you have without getting out there and living life and, you know, breathing in the fresh air? But, boy. Um, the, other, the other thing towards the end of this game was the booth kept mentioning, it unless I'm remembering this incorrectly, that Iowa controls their own fate in the West. That's not true. They have two losses in the conference. Minnesota doesn't.
0: As does Wisconsin. Minnesota has a two-game lead on both of those teams, which, safe to say that we would take either of those teams on a neutral field against Minnesota?
1: I don't know anymore. I mean, the more data that piles up, look, I still, yeah, it's true Minnesota still hasn't really played any compelling opponent. That'll change after their bye. I'm
0: not saying that it wouldn't be close. I'm just saying on a neutral field, gun to your head, one team has to win. Wisconsin versus uh, versus Minnesota, Iowa versus Minnesota, I'm probably picking both
1: games against Minnesota. I would take Minnesota over Iowa at this point. Uh, the the weaknesses that Iowa has had are such fundamental parts of their identity, particularly the run game, that if you got into a tighter game, I don't think they would have a way to get around it. Um, that's just my opinion. I don't know. I also don't, I mean, look, again, it's very easy to poo-poo their schedule, but 8-0 is not something that happens very often. I think the list of undefeated teams now is something like 9 or 10 overall, and that includes, you know, your Bama, Clemson, Penn State, Ohio State, LSU, all those teams, and a handful of group five, well, yeah, that too. <laughs> Which is Who is more likely to be for real, Minnesota or Baylor? Well... In both of those cases, we'll
0: find out uh week after this upcoming one, because Minnesota plays Penn State, Baylor plays Oklahoma. Yeah. Both cases are at home.
1: So you
0: had a good weekend. I did. I did. Because because frankly, what happened was Purdue and Illinois got into a punter's battle, and when that happens, I'm taking Illinois every time. Uh this game became a monsoon very quickly, and there were drainage problems with the field to such an extent that in the second half, the uh, the, the goal line marker, the little the little foam orange thing, was just floating around in a puddle.
1: <laughs> uh, we well, had multiple shots of the sideline with like guys walking through like three inches of water. <laughs> so, yeah, Purdue's
0: sideline was actually flooded.
1: Yeah. Which, I don't know how it happened to the stadium. Like, you're a bunch of engineers. Don't you have, don't you have lobbies? <laughs> <laughs> I remember Purdue having problems with
0: this before, actually. Um, they made some renovations to make it better, but obviously not quite. Uh, they're not keeping up with the rate at which the weather patterns are changing, are they?
1: Apparently not. And speaking of weather patterns, it's i think now fair to wonder because the other salient data point that sticks out in my mind on this topic for purdue is eastern michigan last year it is fair to wonder if maybe this high-flying pass oriented jeff grom offense needs to make some adjustments to deal with the bad weather it's going to see pretty frequently being in western indiana um because yeah no part of this worked. i mean it for one thing i guess if it's true that it's a relatively inexperienced quarterback still, but it's not like this was Plummer's first game.
0: Yeah. When I saw... When I came into this game and I saw the weather, I really wasn't sure what to expect because I thought Purdue was going to win this game. Definitely would have had the advantage if the weather had been clear and dry and warm. But what ended up happening was that once Illinois got on the board, um, and especially once Purdue... They backed Purdue up really far, and then Tony Adams got a pick six that made it ten to nothing. Uh, Jeff Brom seemed to just get rattled and panic. In the first drive, they they were keeping it on the ground. I mean, I think they started with five straight runs, and they were getting first down yardage. And you know, I'd been saying all last week that you know if Purdue establishes the run, then they've got a very good chance to win this game if they commit to running the ball. Uh, they were even doing it with their quarterback. Then, Bram, And, and this, is, this is 20 minutes into the game that pick-six happens. Brom yanks Plummer, throws in Aiden O'Connell, and then has him throw three deep passes, none of which are complete. I don't know that they were all deep, but, you know, it was definitely you know, more aggressive play calling. Definitely seemed like he was trying to get all the points back in one play. And then just gave the Illini the ball back. Uh, Illinois gifted them another opportunity, and they did the same thing. Three incomplete passes... And then Illinois scored, went up 17-0, and that was the game. I think Brahm, you know, one of the things that everybody loves about Jeff Brom is how aggressive and creative he is, but part of that being aggressive means that and sometimes if you're not careful, you can coach yourself out of a game early.
1: Yeah, and that was very much the case here. As you mentioned, It looking at the shoe on the other foot, uh... Well, obviously Smith had a game plan that was much better suited for the conditions and look, you never know exactly what it's gonna be like at game time but you gotta weather the forecast and' you got an app on your phone you're not Pat Fitzgerald you have a phone don't you
0: um, yeah Illinois threw seven passes
1: and that was brilliant it was exce- <laughs> it was probably a pass or two more than they should have thrown I mean because
0: <laughs> Purdue um though the reason that you've that you've been hearing so much about Purdue dropping the ball is because they had so many more opportunities to than Illinois, because they threw the ball a lot. Yeah. They, they could not hold on to the ball. No one could handle the ball. Their, their punter dropped the ball at one point. This, this really was one of the messiest water games that I can – like rain games that I can recall.
1: It, you know, I don't think it's quite there with – was it Notre Dame and NC State? Yeah, in a literal hurricane. Yeah, no, <laughs> not quite that bad. But, but yeah, mean, there, your There's, point there's is degrees. Taken. Your point is taken.
0: Yeah, there, there's degrees of this, okay? There's sometimes where it misses, and sometimes, you know, the quarterback will have some, tr- some trouble with it slipping, you know? But, but this one was just, you know, nobody could handle the ball. It was bouncing differently. Uh, one dude who made a big adjustment was Blake Hayes, who decided that he was just going to skip the ball end over end down the field. and
1: That was such an awesome, because the way it came off his foot, it looked like he threw it. Yeah. It was that like that elevation with that kind of spiral... But as you mentioned, it bounced in it after, right after hitting out of bounds with the one, rolled into the pylon, which is, I was like, for, that's, I think they, that's, that's yeah. like a, that a wicked that, that a Yahtzee. Well, the, that's got to be some kind of special score. That's a rouge. That's what that is. And it
0: slowed down and knocked the pylon over almost like a really dramatic hole in one. <laughs>
1: yeah, like like the, I, you almost expected. Of the, of the ball rolling right up to it. And, it's, boop.
0: and that's going to, <laughs> my goodness.
1: Drops in!
0: (laughs) So, Blake Hayes had two punts at the one. Obviously, the one that we just talked about was unassisted. But his best play was uh, saving a bad snap that came to him inside his own 10. Like, tipped it to himself. It was way over his head. Tipped it to himself. Caught it. Took one step and punted under pressure. He's got better pocket presence than all of our quarterbacks.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, low bar is low. But. The
0: the Big Ten decided that <laughs> Blake Gillikin needed to win this award. Did he punt to the one twice?
1: I don't think he did, but maybe he did. Um, Let's talk about an interesting game for Jake. Because I mean, as oh, much yeah. as Illinois didn't exactly open a huge margin. I don't think we can call that game interesting, but I want uh, to
0: I want to mention a couple more things. One is that somehow Illinois has become a team against whom you can't make mistakes because they've they've been proficient at making points off turnovers, and that's I mean that that happened against Wisconsin, that happened against Purdue, and it's ridiculous to hear myself saying that after what they looked like last year to the beginning of this year.
1: I mean before this little two game run they're on you portrayed them as basically one of the luckier teams around because of the amount of fumbles they've recovered but look when you watch them play defensively there is design in that it results in a lot of the times some missed tackles that'll make you tear your hair out sure but especially in conditions like this if you're ripping for the ball occasionally that's going to pay off and I think that you know what honestly I think that might be is Maybe that's an honest self-evaluation by a staff that knows personnel-wise this defense isn't all that good. And if they try to play sound and you know bend but don't break, they're eventually going to get scored on anyway and be more tired doing it. So why don't you just go for the big play? You know, Much the same way that a lot of air raid defenses will yeah. often go for turnovers instead of worrying about giving up yards and points. Well, that's one
0: thing where I won't poo-poo them because... The, the whole punch-out-the-ball thing has been coached from day one. I remember hearing about it in, you know, training camp before the first season. And the, the luck I'm talking about is to do with the rate of recovering fumbles. But if you can expect to recover about 50% of fumbles, then you're you going to recover more, more yeah. fumbles <laughs> if you make more. Which, they've forced more fumbles than anyone in the nation, and that is an intentional part of their identity. Yeah, so... So it's 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 silly and it's gotta be just infuriating to go against.
1: I suppose. I mean in a game like that I think you expect to fumble anyway. Not the route I thought we'd take to four and four at this point. (laughs) No. (laughs) So Rutgers scheduled a game against Liberty. For a minute there, it looked like they were gonna be sleeping in the yard for the rest of the season. Because they fell behind Liberty pretty early before getting engaged in a seesaw fair where eventually it turned out that actually Liberty just doesn't have a defense, which is just fine. I mean, it's an indefensible institution, so why would they have a defense? Well, they have no defense for anything, let alone they, football. Who they are, why they exist, the foundation of their whole, the whole thing. Just no defense for any of it. So on the field, again, this was a pretty interesting game, but boy, this was a small crowd. And given, like, I get what Rutgers is on paper. I get what they are with the eye test. I get why you would spend your Saturday doing anything else if you're a Rutgers fan in proximity to the stadium. But is this not one of the last winnable games of the season? I mean, if you care about the team at all, is this not one? Is this not one that you're going to show up for? Counterpoint:
0: Do you want to see that team lose to Liberty? Like, I, I, I would make a good point. I and but the there moment. weren't that many home games that I had the opportunity to go to, to Illinois for. And the Eastern Michigan game was one of them. And I was like, uh, you know, maybe they beat Eastern <laughs> Michigan, but if they don't, I've just driven 500 miles to watch us lose to Eastern Michigan. Uh, Risk-reward yeah, I mean, proposition. Uh,
1: point taken. I'm, I'm already wavering as to whether I'll join you for the MSU Illinois game. In per our agreement. Not because
0: I you care. You don't have
1: to. Not because I care about the outcome necessarily. I'm, I'm resigned on my team having fallen all the way back into mediocrity. But I'm just not willing to go and sit in bad weather again. I don't think that was an issue here. I mean, Rutgers and Indiana, Nebraska were the only two games that weren't played in horrendous conditions, to the best of my recollection, in the whole conference. So I don't think that was this year because the rain hadn't quite made its way that far east yet. So you ever seen that
0: uh, occasionally posted screenshot that has a closed captioning in a Tigers game? Where the closed captioning is saying, and they have they can't stop Don Kelly. <laughs> okay, it was like that here. They have no answer for Johnny Langon. <laughs> Liberty had no answer for Johnny Lange. That's
1: You know, apparently Don Kelly's getting talked up for manager jobs in the major leagues. <laughs> he's he's on the Astros now, right? He's not playing anymore, if that's what you're thinking. No, he's been like an assistant or Uh, scout or something for a number of years now. Shit, dude.
0: They can't. The the Royals have no answer for Don Kelly. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, if it's kind of a dumb question in the first place, do you need an answer? (laughs) Um, But yeah, this, like, this, if you want to know the quality of Liberty's defense, this is them making Johnny Langan look a little bit like diet Johnny football. I mean, the guy had a hell of a day. And that's hopefully something you can build off of. But let's not get carried away and start extrapolating too much about what this means. That said, good job, Rutgers. Slap on the back for winning this dumb game you scheduled, which you shouldn't have. But since you did, you sure as hell better win, and and you did. So that's about all we need to say about that. I think.
0: Basically, this is kind of like we're, we're gonna
1: we're gonna sit you down.
0: And scold you for all the rules that you've broken. And then we're gonna say, however, you ended up undoing your own fuck up. This is 50 uh, points to Gryffindor! Yeah, exactly, this is the
1: Dumbledore moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50 <laughs> points to Gryffindor! <laughs> fuck you, Slytherin. You followed all the rules. But uh, this Rebel Without a Cause over here did some really cool ass shit. Trophy for him, middle fingers for you. Get these colors out of here, fuck you Uh, all hail griffin hufflepuffs (laughs) don't think i can't
0: smell that (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: tell me that's not the stoner
1: house (laughs) you can't so i guess we could talk about penn state michigan state although the question i would ask is do we have to there's not a whole lot to say about it it was over pretty quickly and that's not to say the game that the score ever looked all that out of hand. It was, a, it was competitive-ish, but this is another game with sub fifty percent passing. This is another game where I mean, let's. I always find the best indication of how the easiest way to explain exactly where MSU is is the good old drive chart. So Penn State gets the ball first. MSU's defense forces a three and out. That's great, and the offense immediately does a three out of their own. So then we have. A 62-yard touchdown drive, MSU punts on their next possession. An 86-yard touchdown drive, MSU punts. Penn State goes three and out, and then missed field goal, turnover on downs for Penn State. Another t- that doesn't make any sense. I think there was a fumble in there. But in any case, MSU had one, two, three, four, five possessions in the first half. The first three were punts. The last one was the end of the first half overall if i were to eyeball this they probably had about 100 yards overall in the first half what are we doing here i mean there's this is yet another game where against a good opponent they don't look like they belong on the field from an offensive standpoint and as the season goes on the patience with which the defense appears willing to go balls to the wall and pitch a shutout appears to be shortening because they, you know, against Arizona State, it lasted pretty much the whole game. It wasn't until the last drive they finally cracked and gave up the decisive score. Against Ohio State, then they pushed the Buckeyes midway through the second quarter. That was still a game. Against Wisconsin, things came apart a lot faster. And against Penn State, they were never really on the rails in the first place. So that's about all there is to say for them. I mean, if you're, if you're Penn State, Clifford had a nice day. This was another bad weather game the newer quarterback looked a lot better than the senior who's played in it a dozen times before that's a coaching issue and there's I mean, there's, there's no dynamism to msu's offense in design or execution i probably could have counted on one hand the number of times they threw the ball more than 10 yards down the field i can't imagine that's all brian the worky taking the easy open route i mean there's just no deep routes called because they don't have any fast receivers it's an offensive line that can neither block in the run nor pass protect. I, what exactly are we doing here? There's, there's no easy answer for all this. And that's, kind of, that's the biggest problem is if you want to think about where to go from here, sure, I mean, if D'Antonio retires or leaves or whatever, he does, if he's not the coach anymore, there's a substantial mess to clean up here. And there's not a whole lot of roster, especially or a lot of talent, especially on the offensive side of the roster to fix it with. I mean, this team gets a lot worse next year from a talent standpoint because of the senior class they're about to send off into the ether. So, man, I I don't hear many MSU fans that I know arguing that Antonio should stay. That doesn't appear to be in play anymore. The question now is basically, is he gonna go of his own accord because we all know the school won't fire him? Or is he really gonna drag this out and we'll see exactly how ugly it gets? They have two more home games left. The weather is not likely to be much better. And why would you show up? Why would you show up for this team? The S&P Plus
0: projections have their most likely outcome at six wins. And that would basically mean that when you put the 2016-2017 seasons together, then you've got four seasons of a 500 ball. Now, before D'Antonio came, they were plus or minus 500. So things have
1: come full circle. And it would be ungrateful, perhaps, not to acknowledge that there was a hell of a ride in the middle there. But yeah, for this program to have failed so completely to capitalize off of that momentum is just a huge missed opportunity because whoever replaces d'antonio is not likely to be as good as him it's probably not going to be as good of a hire so the odds that you have highs anything approximating that 2010 through 15 run pretty slim pretty slim so how would you compare michigan
0: state to wisconsin in this run because they've occupied similar roles with wisconsin being steadier But Michigan State's high is being higher. The way that I compare them is like, they're like the the strongest human character in Dragon Ball Z, where it's like, (sighs) they're not like a God-tier thing that you can't possibly hope to. They're the aspirational program. That's what I'm talking about. They're the program that you could someday be if you're like Illinois.
1: Wisconsin, no, MSU is nowhere near where Wisconsin was. So that's something that I know I've mentioned before, that when D'Antonio came here, he said his goal was to have a, to build you know, a program, program something like, well, like what Iowa or Wisconsin had um, that they're not there. This is where they are now. this this program is probably their true self. The reason that they had I mean the big reasons that they had that six year period where they were more than that is because they found two NFL quarterbacks that nobody else identified. And in the second epic, the cook period, they also happened to find enough stud offensive linemen who were also underrated that they had, an amazing offense that was what pushed them higher at certain spots i mean they've always been good at identifying defensive backs and linebackers they've made some running backs and receivers out of nothing but this i mean when you write the story of this program overall the biggest continuous theme is going to be man, they could never build an offensive line this is season number 13 and they've had three offensive linemen drafted and one of those was a seventh rounder so that's, that's not, not Wisconsin. Wisconsin. I'm not saying that you're going to have the same level of success that they do with the offensive line in particular, but Wisconsin has sent guys from all positions, both sides of the ball, to the league, and maybe except for quarterback, <laughs> on a pretty consistent basis. They, they find to a developer... Clipboard holders come out of there recently. Yeah, well, I mean, I still don't count Russell Wilson as a Wisconsin product no. exactly, no. but... Um, yeah, so, so that's... And you notice how we're talking all big picture here, because... Small picture, the season was over when they lost to Ohio State because thinking back to the preseason, this was MSU's last big chance for the foreseeable future to do anything of impact. And the Arizona State game was a serious warning, but the Ohio State game was you know six-foot, blood-red writing on the wall. It ain't happening. So I've kind of been on cruise control most of the rest of the way. I mean, I'm still in a bad mood when the games are happening, but I get over it a lot faster now than I did before. And that should be the scariest thing for MSU's athletic department is a sicko like me who wastes his entire weekend most of the time watching football. I'm losing interest. That's a big problem.
0: And you know, their identity is is one that's really not consistent with sustaining hope because it is always so much more frustrating and disheartening to watch a team that has no offense and a great defense than it is to do the other way around. Because the other way, like you can be down twenty-eight and still have some hope that something's going to happen. Yeah. But when you when you've got a terrible offense and a good defense, you get down ten to nothing. Yeah, you feel like you
1: can turn off the game. When Penn State scored their second touchdown, I knew this game was over, and that was in the second quarter. So, you know. I get that. I get that the fate of Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech fan, can be a little aggravating too. Where no matter how many points you score, it's not enough. But. I almost wonder at this point if I wouldn't take a, a, a walk in those shoes. So, you know, it is what it is. If you're Penn State, maybe this is a little bit of a boogeyman you're exercising. Don't mistake this Michigan State with the one that beat you two years ago. Um, even the one last year was more of a fluke, honestly. Penn State's the better team by a mile. This is about the outcome you should have expected even on the road. So. So if Penn State's overconfidence
0: in their weakness, then Penn State is their weakness, then Penn State would say, that D'Antonio's faith in his friends is his... It's goddamn is it ever. It was he who allowed the Spartans to know the location of the defensive secondary. It is quite safe <laughs> from your pitiful little band. An entire legion of my best crew awaits them. Oh, I'm afraid the defensive line will be quite operational when your friends arrive. That fits so So fucking
1: perfect. perfect. (laughs) Yeah, man. Uh, I guess guess that's that's kind of the last big big picture note that that we'll make here. here. If if you're not terribly familiar with MSU's program and you're wondering why the impatience with D'Antonio, it's because we're replaying last season. And after last season, he basically had a choice to either clean house and bring in new blood, take his staff in a different direction, try to breathe second, a second wind into this thing, or to run it back, and he did that. He made the smallest possible, change, maybe the dumbest possible change he could have, keeping every single one of his staff members and putting them all in new jobs. Which, by the way, just seems to have hurt the team in new, unexpected ways. Because all of a sudden, the wide receivers can't catch because they have a new wide receivers coach. That's the only connection I can make. Because guys who were pretty reliable up until this point, Suddenly have, I think early in the second quarter, the first drop they had, the Booth commented that's 27 drops they had through this season. Yikes! That's a lot, man. If you catch even half of those, that could be another win or two in the run. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so nothing Antonio did work. I don't think anybody should forget that he staked his reputation on this particular staff shuffle, and it has been a miserable failure. I mean if you want to say they've had a couple offensive line injuries sure they have they always do and because of that they've always played eight or nine guys so they have enough experience to counter it there is no excuse this year they're otherwise healthy the schedule's not been as difficult there's no i mean there's no excuse here it's time to go he can retire or they can fire him
0: you got a quarterback that two years ago We were sitting here on this podcast asking, could he be the best Spartans quarterback ever when all is said and done? He could have been. I really think he could (laughs) have
1: been. Brooke, no argument for me. And this is what we've had for him instead. A season ruined by injury because his line got him killed. And another season where the design of this offense and his progression have been non-existent. So, that is what it is. There's nothing else to say about it. I mean, if if you're one of our peer programs that has... Been, vis- been visibly jealous of what this team accomplished the last several years. I guess this is your time to gloat, but you know, us being out of the way doesn't make it any easier for you to beat Ohio State. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is true.
0: Yeah, like congratulations, Michigan. You can now dunk on them as you commiserate in getting trucked by Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, if you want to talk about something that's the opposite of Michigan State, Indiana, thirty-eight, Nebraska, thirty-one.
1: Yeah, a program that's achieving an underrated steady build this is the first time in a while that indiana hasn't had to sweat bowl eligibility until the last week of the season Um, when you look at the pattern of this game it's hard to figure out exactly what went wrong for nebraska i mean you look at isaiah martinez was out but they still with a backup and then a third stringer completed 20 out of 23 passes for almost 300 yards the ground game was pretty effective not no, no huge plays but pretty effective oh, yeah. oh, oh here we go here we go turnovers um three fumbles two of them lost and it's a one score game <laughs> those extra possessions are the margin right now it's not that they're so outclassed against most of the conference that they can't beat them it's that they make too many mistakes and that's, got, that's something that scott frost has to fix because this offense is always going to result on. Pitches and reverses and sweeps, a lot of tricky little stuff that takes precision, attention to detail to get correct. A lot of reps.
0: So the Nebraska defense, on the other hand, appears to be a joke. I mean, they allowed 10 whole points to Northwestern. Jeez. Just an absurd number of points. Jesus. 455 yards by Indiana. Proficient offense, but not an explosive one.
1: No, this isn't, this isn't the Kevin Wilson Hoosier offense. I mean, they they still have a lot of elements that are difficult to deal with. I mean, as I mentioned after their game against MSU, the wide receiver screen game when they get it running is a thing of beauty to watch. Name a better backup quarterback than Peyton Ramsey in the Big Ten. No, I, I don't think you can. I don't, I don't know if you can name a better backup nationwide. I mean, who else would you come up with? I'd, I'd be at a loss. I mean...
0: Yeah, you got me there. I mean, you should, I mean, Peyton Ramsey would probably start on maybe half the Big Ten teams at this
1: point. I'd take him over the Northwestern would take him. I'd take
0: him over Brandon Peters.
1: He would start for Maryland. He would start for Rutgers.
0: Well, he 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 might be the best quarterback on Northwestern, but that doesn't mean he would start for
1: Northwestern. Okay, yeah. So we'll have to pump the brakes there. <laughs> um, does he start for Wisconsin? I think it's close. Uh, If it's a truly fair fair battle, I mean, Jack Cohn had the inside track from the beginning on that. If it's a fair fight, I think maybe he does. Um, Does he start at Minnesota? Close. He's got more wheels than Tanner Morgan. Yeah, but Morgan has been quietly good this year. And again, not not that he's had all that much in the way of difficult things to do yet, but, uh, you know. Going in November and he's been pretty good. I, I. Peyton Ramsey start at Penn State. No, no. I, I, think they probably prefer what they have in Clifford. But okay. that you know the fact that we asked this question, I mean the only the only one we know for sure he doesn't start at would be Ohio State, isn't it? Yeah. Can you say for sure that he wouldn't start over Shea Patterson? notwithstanding last week's results. I mean, <laughs> I don't know you can. Um. So we, we mentioned there Tanner Morgan. And how he hasn't had a whole lot to do. How many passes did he throw in a 45-point win over a conference opponent? Uh, that's, that's a good question. 20.
0: 21. Um,
1: so more actually than I thought when I started that sentence. Otherwise, I wouldn't have spilled it out because it turned out to be not as clever as I was hoping. But yeah, um, Maryland. I mean, yeah. Where where do you want to begin with this matchup? Because there's on one hand, there's a lot of interesting little angles to it, and on the other, it's kind of exactly what it appears to be, right? Maryland,
0: they are who we thought they were in the immortal yeah, words of 1983 Big Ten Coach of the Year Dennis Green. Which yeah, which is
1: which is to say, super bad. They got two. They got explosive. soul.
0: Yeah. They're super bad.
1: They got two explosive plays: one in the receiving game from um, from Fleet Davis, and one in the run game from Tavon Leak. And otherwise. They, or is it Javon League? I forget. Anyway, um, they manage less than 120 yards of offense otherwise. Now, considering that's where their talent is supposed to be concentrated, that's a problem, uh, and that's how this game played out. I mean, defensively, they just don't have the guys to stop even. In, well, it's an above-average offense. I'm not going to call Minnesota's offense great, or God forbid I use the word elite. <laughs> but I mean, they're,
0: they're also they're balanced. They can do yeah. several things
1: well they can which isn't to say they do i mean in this game again their play selection was run 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 pass when we've run eight times in a row because you're never gonna see that coming they get their one they get one ones down the field they have receivers who can make plays when given those chances and yeah the minnesota it (laughs) you know you know what it is minnesota's offense is (laughs) trustable yeah and so far it has worked because for the most part they haven't they haven't faced an opponent good enough to make them pay for that. When you've got a talent advantage, ball is great. We'll see if that turns out to if that pans out for them against Penn State and you know Iowa, Wisconsin. We'll see if they can still make it work the same way. And I mean, we keep saying that it's a favorable schedule,
0: and it's true. But you, but you know, know what? what? You have to win the games. Yeah. Having a favorable schedule is no guarantee of winning all the games. Illinois had a really favorable ass schedule. They could easily be 6-2. and two. They're not, because they didn't win the games. So, yeah, for, for, for whatever we're going to say about the schedule, the fact is that Minnesota's beaten everybody who's come in front of them. And, in fact, they've been getting better, uh, as far as these margins are concerned, as the season's gone on.
1: Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the, uh, the glitz game of the week. Notre Dame, legitimate playoff contender, coming into the big house for... A game in a monsoon, because again, it rained all day, and it continued to rain. And what was Notre Dame's game plan to deal with the rain? Well,
0: we know damn well
1: from that
0: game we discussed earlier, ten to three versus NC State in a hurricane, that no amount of rain is going to stop Ryan Kelly from calling on his quarterback to throw twenty-five passes,
1: and then blame him when it doesn't work. <laughs> he's
0: he's he is uh, he is anti-Dantonio because. Come hell or high water, we're going to establish the pass. Damn it.
1: Yeah, and that's even the case this year when, honestly, their receiving core is not what it has been historically. Chase Claypool is good as a number one. Cole Komet's a pretty good tight end. They don't have a whole lot other than that in terms of playmakers. And, that's again, that's in the best of circumstances when they don't have a foot of water on the ground. So I don't understand what Notre Dame thought this game plan was going to be for them coming in, but we also saw... What we've kind of known all season, which is that Notre Dame's run defense is a big problem, which is what prompted me to play DeAndre Swift against them earlier this year, and it didn't work out, and I'm still kind of salty about it, because on paper, that's a genius play. I don't know why it didn't fucking work. Anyway. uh, (laughs) Shit happens. This game certainly buys Harbaugh some breathing room um, in the interim. You can look If you're looking at it from Michigan's perspective, you put this together with the second half of the Penn State game, you can't help but feel pretty good. Maybe you start tricking yourself into thinking you've got a shot at beating Ohio State. Don't do that, you're setting yourself up for a letdown. But look, they should win all the rest of the games this year, which ultimately brings them to nine and three, probably third place in the division. And look, it looks better though. And
0: you- Well, you got to say, I mean, in all likelihood, barring a hilarious dick trip, you're probably going to finally get to, to dunk on Michigan State again. So you can dunk on Notre Dame, you can dunk on Michigan State. That's always good if you're a Michigan fan.
1: Yeah, especially, you know, this is the last game they play against Notre Dame for 13 years. Yeah, so that's
0: always good to to, to have 13 years worth of bragging rights.
1: Yeah, to send them off into, the, into a, off a long circumnavigational trip with your middle okay. finger high in the air. Texas and Oklahoma will be in the Big Ten the next time they play. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, who knows? You may have to cancel that series because we're going to have to have 10 conference games. <laughs> um, yeah, Michigan definitely found some things here, though. It uh, Why it took them all season to identify that Hassan Haskins is their best running back, I don't know, but hopefully this game convinces them of that fact. They have about the appropriate balance of pass to run for these conditions. 14 passes to 57 runs. They're going to need more out of the passing game against better teams. And, you know, maybe it's weird to say that against a top-ten opponent, but Notre Dame, boy, they've escaped a couple of losses to even get to this point. Hey,
0: I got a question. Would they even sniff the top three of a Big Ten division? Everybody but Rutgers put up more offensive yards against Michigan than Notre Dame did. And we're talking Army, Middle Tennessee State, Iowa, Illinois.
1: Yeah, and... To the best of my knowledge, Notre Dame is healthy for the most part. I mean, they've got two NFL tackles again. They've got a senior quarterback, a pretty good running back, a couple of decent options I mentioned the past game. There really was no reason that they shouldn't have had more success here. Michigan's defense is not what it has been the last couple of years. Not to say that they're bad, but they're not what they have been. And this is still what Notre Dame put up. So what the hell has
0: Notre Dame been doing in the top 10 all season?
1: Well, you see, and, you know, like, the lighting changes and soft music plays. <laughs> a, a rare salute to Michigan
0: for killing the idea of Notre Dame being any good this year. Thank you for your
1: service, Wolverines. Because there ain't no good, baby. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. How did you not? I thought you. Were, I thought you saw that alley oop coming, man. I oh, we I scrolled
0: gonna, past it. I scrolled I past it. I thought that you
1: conference. were gonna dunk on that shit. All right, so that does it no, for. Nope, nope. I missed the alley oop. Yeah, to hit your head on the backboard. So that does it for the conference slate this year. Uh, let's take a look around the we're country. We're going to regret
0: trashing on Notre Dame here when they collapse down the stretch. Fire Brian Kelly and Urban <laughs> Meyer the coach. <laughs> oh God!
1: Why would you see? I spoke it into being. Why would you do it? Why would you say that? <laughs>
0: You everything that Urban has touched, right recently, turns to gold. Makes us <laughs> abandon all hope. That's the theme of.
1: Well we don't have to play them. Who cares if they're good? They're not playing MSU again until like twenty twenty seven, I think. He'll, even if they hire Urban, he'll be gone by then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, what do I care? They could be good. It doesn't matter me. I don't have to play them.
0: Meanwhile. In the rest of the country.
1: Georgia. Oklahoma where
0: the team goes
1: sweeping down the poles. You might as well just play Boomer Sooner, even though he lost to Kansas State. I mean that's you know, that's yeah. gotta be on the flow chart somewhere, right? The time of possession
0: was thirty-eight to twenty-two, two tuner two turnovers to zero, and the Sooners at one point trailed forty-eight to twenty-three in the fourth quarter. Now They came so close to recovering an onside kick.
1: I still think if you have to use more than one camera angle to replay, to overturn a play as objectively cool and rare as an onside kick recovery, it should not be allowed. I know. They said the guy was like, like. A
0: few inches shy of 10 yards when he touched it and Oklahoma recovered
1: and... I'll find a way to write that exact rule into the NCAA rulebook so that we're protected from bullshit like this in the future.
0: Oh man, with Skylar Thompson being inexplicably unstoppable as the K-State quarterback, how much would you have wanted to see seven overtimes between these two teams?
1: Oh yeah, now that i played Thompson and JMC or anything, by it hurts, that could have helped.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it also would have just been really fun. yeah.
1: Yeah, man, this Especially game, uh,
0: since uh, neither neither of them have that weird uh, crab people music that LSU was playing.
1: I was going to say, this could have been LSU, Texas a and And then maybe we get... Maybe yeah, except get it's,
0: years. it would have started at 48-48. <laughs> we could have gone into triple digits had they just allowed that onside kick recovery to stand. But alas, now the Big 12, perhaps...
1: Goddamn no fun league!
0: <laughs> oh, The Big 12 is the no fun league all of a sudden? Yeah. <laughs> But we can probably safely say that for the time being, they're joining the scrap heap that is the Pac-12 and the rest of the Detroiters.
1: Sure. we. Uh, it's always... This is around the point in the season when people are like, all right, well, this loss means that this thing is definitely, we know for sure. No, there's an entire month of chaos left. There's conference championship games left. There's a lot of football left to play. Because Everyone's like, well, you know, there's an undefeated so-and-so. Get in? Who cares? There's going to be two undefeated teams max. So... And, and before we it.
0: before we get into this next discussion, I do want to point out that the last two or three years, Oklahoma has had a real dick-trippy loss and still made the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, well, you know, if I were to speculate as to the reason for that, it's because even the committee understands that people want to watch entertaining football. Yeah. And so if you have any reason at all to put a team like Oklahoma in the playoff, put them in the playoff. And, <laughs> you know. They've not regretted that. I'm pretty sure the two games, in, the two semifinals with Oklahoma, were the highest-rated ones. The one, I don't, I think the one with them in Georgia was the highest overall of any semifinals. That
0: game was so entertaining; it was ridiculous. That's yeah. easily the best game of the college football playoff era.
1: Yeah. So yeah, put Oklahoma in if you have any excuse to do so.
0: But we're dismissing the Big 12 and the Pac-12 because, unlike the ACC and the Big Ten and the SEC. They don't have some horrifying mythical creature that's wandering the countryside burning all these villages just just devastating the countryside by hopelessly huge margins like Clemson is just Clemson like lost a spot last week after they won a conference game by 35 because Ohio State dunked on Northwestern
1: yeah (laughs) and (laughs) that's It's the point where consistently, every time Clemson is mentioned, the next breath out of the commentators, whereas, you know, they've kind of underperformed this year, even though they're undefeated. It's just by they're beating teams by like 20, 25 points a game instead of 40. <laughs> <Well>, oh, <So>, not <laughs> even. I
0: they won by 52 last week. It's just that they had the one game against North Carolina that they won by one
1: point. And I was like, well, that's a smaller number than Ohio State won by. I guess we better push them on down. But yeah. There's nothing like that in the Pac-12 or the Big 12, which means that if you have a normal off game for your best teams, they are very beatable, and that's what's manifested so far.
0: Because Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson on their schedules so far have just been... And LSU's played some entertaining games. They've played some tough teams. Alabama, not so much. They haven't played anybody that's challenged them at all. So those three teams, it's kind of like if, if you were to, to say like, An RPG, a Final Fantasy game, or whatever, and and you you take your characters from the end of the game after you beat the final boss and you go back to the (laughs) beginning. And you're just mowing people down in one hit. You just, you know, you're just inflicting maximum damage, and it's just like, oh, huh, I wonder when the last time I even had to heal or save was. (laughs) Jeez, I mean, yeah, at this point, if you're Clemson, how long has it been since you last felt that you had to save your game?
1: Is Clemson the diamond weapon, or is that Alabama?
0: Uh, I don't know. I think I think I think I would call Bama Emerald Weapon at this point.
1: Mm, yeah, because it's just unfair. So <laughs> elsewhere in the conference, no other or in the country, no real prominent candidates for Dick Trip of the Week. I don't think. I mean, Oklahoma is the clear winner. There are a couple other almosts though. In that you know we have kind of the running joke that honestly a good candidate for Pac-12 After Dark is any game involving Washington State. I mean, we were right about this one. Yeah, um, this is Oregon, a home game. Yeah, Oregon needed a last-second field goal. Um, Kansas, Texas Tech. I don't I think, think we're ever against... going to see anything like that again.
0: Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see a game where... So, imagine how less Miles
1: this is. Imagine the most less Miles thing you can imagine. And then double it.
0: <laughs> so basically what happened is that Les Miles kicked a game-winning field goal in a tie game with 12 seconds to go got it blocked, and the result of getting that kick blocked is that he got to try it again from like 10 yards closer.
1: (laughs) Because the Texas Tech player who picked up the blocked field goal apparently just forgot the rules of the game and tried to lateral it to a teammate who was no longer behind him, and Kansas recovered it, so now it's Kansas ball again. And there was 12
0: seconds left when they kicked that field goal, so the play took 11 seconds.
1: (laughs) Because let's not forget, (laughs) set this whole thing up. Les Miles completely the mismanaged the clock, so instead of kicking the field goal with, with like no time left, he's kicking it with 12 seconds, or 12 or 13 seconds. Yeah, and seconds and, left. and, the,
0: and the, they so had well, one timeout because he hadn't bothered to like center it and get closer and then call his last timeout. So he was saving it in the event that Texas Tech blocked the field goal, recovered it, and then lateraled it to nobody.
1: And so. <laughs>
0: So yeah, a normal coach managing the game properly would not have had that timeout to call.
1: <laughs> That's what they call, man. Know, man. It, you know, there's something... <laughs> some guys just have a horseshoe wedge so Kansas, firmly in their ass. Kansas has won a conference game. And they stormed the field. They stormed the field for beating unranked Texas Tech at home. Um, As well they should have, man. They won five...
0: Remember, they had won five conference games... Since 2009! This is their sixth conference win since 2009. Yeah, man. Come on. How many times are they ever going to get to strong Field? This is an occasion for it. And you know what? Sitting at three wins now, one more win, and they have the most wins in any season since
1: 2009. That's fucking dark, man.
0: You know what? It is the longest tunnel with the brightest light.
1: Yeah, you have this sentimental attachment to Kansas football, and I'm going to go back to what I said while we were watching this game live. Don't forget they're attached to Kansas basketball, all right? These people don't deserve this kind of positive feeling that you're sending them. So moving on from that, um, Navy and Tulane was an interesting game, came right down the wire, and once again, Malcolm Perry's a, a badass, drove down the field to get them in position for a game-winning field goal, and they hit it. So I still like Willie Fritz and his his trajectory Considerably, I still hope MSU considers him whenever they have to make their coaching change. I heard or a they, rumor that Rutgers was considering him. They could do a lot worse. They could do a lot worse. If you're Rutgers, would you settle for being what Georgia Tech was under Paul Johnson? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, big time. 100 times out, of 100. Sign, sign if up.
0: You're, hey, if you're a Rutgers fan listening to this, who would you rather have? Greg Schiano or Willie Fritz? Be yeah. honest. Yeah, I'm really curious to know because... Um, I feel like the casual, if there is a casual Rutgers fan anymore, they say, Well, oh, Shiano was really good here. But the college football fan that watches, uh, you know, American and conference action.
1: And that has watched Greg Shiano's track record since he left Rutgers. Like, guys don't stay the same all the time. Like, they're not, there's not always a uniform upward flight on a coach's career. Sometimes when they leave a situation that was working, everything goes to shit and they never find it again. That happens. happens. Look at Charlie Weiss. I mean, teams chasing what he was supposed to be as an assistant with New England, he's still cashing checks from that, probably, from one of them. (laughs) Remember
0: Steve Spagnuolo in the NFL? Yeah. he, he, He drew up the defense that shut down the 2007 Patriots, and then he put up, like, an ungodly terrible record as the Rams head coach.
1: Yeah, so it's, you know... Chasing that brief little flash of success instead of looking for what the actual best option is is not a good decision. That's all we're saying. We do have a couple other candidates for Dick Trip of the week. Texas is back.
0: Out of the spotlight.
1: With three losses. Two in conference. Lost on the road to TCU
0: by 10.
1: And, you know, for a minute there, we were about to say that Herm Edwards actually has Arizona State in a good place. And then... Blown the fuck out by UCLA. Not as <laughs> close as
0: the score indicated, because they trailed 42-10 to 10 as they entered the fourth quarter. This is so Herm Edwards, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but when we're talking for Dick Trip of the Week, I mean, there's really only diploma. There's really only <laughs> it's one, yeah, a I'm sorry, you're,
0: you're you're undefeated Power 5 team at this point, you, you lose any game Dick Trip of the Week.
1: No, I don't know. Well, you that. lose I mean, any game
0: to a non-playoff contender.
1: Yeah, okay even that i mean if penn state loses to minnesota is that a dick trip
0: yeah i think so given the talent disparity i disagree it's a road game against a
1: ranked team no i i don't think i can categorically agree with that but in any case we're talking about hypotheticals here and we are in unison in declaring oklahoma recipients of uh the big golden dick trip horns down y'all
0: the wheels came all the way off the Sooner Schooner, and uh, all the King's horses and all the King's men couldn't get that schooner. Your source for Big Ten Talk: It's off Tackle Empire!